Hello, everybody, and welcome to another one in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. My name is David Lloyd, uh, actor, writer, broadcaster. And once again, we are in lockdown when we're doing this, so we're not all together in a room as we normally are. We're in our separate houses having a conversation on Zoom. And I would like to introduce the other two people who contribute to this podcast. Firstly, Chris. Hello, everybody. Chris Budd. I, uh, I wrote the book, The Financial Wellbeing Book, and I also help companies who want to sell their businesses to an employee ownership trust, or I used to, or hopefully will do again when we're out of the lockdown period. I do a lot of writing and thinking about money and happiness in Jenny. And Tomo. Charter Financial Planner and Director at Ovation Finance and Director at the Initiative of Financial Wellbeing who have a conference coming up in September. So due to COVID and lockdown, we've moved it to a virtual conference. But because of that, we're actually able to increase the programme and it's going to be across uh, a whole week from the 21st of September to the 25th of September, primarily geared at financial services professionals, financial planners, advisors, coaches, to enable them to get some skills to help their clients become happier, not just wealthier, but the programme looks absolutely brilliant. There is tons in there. Um, and with it being virtual, you can dip in and out, fit it around your diary, but yeah, tons of content. You can find out some information on this at the initiative for financialwellbeing.org.uk. And there is a link to the conference there that also includes the schedule. Um, and you're able to buy tickets as well which I feel are an absolute billy bargain uh, for what's on offer. So yeah, go have a look. Yeah, really excited. And it will be an opportunity for you to see the faces behind this podcast as well, because we will all be there. Indeed. Right. Okay. So let's move on now. Uh, Oh, in fact, before we do, Chris, tell us what we're doing in the podcast today. Today, David, we have an interview that I did with a lady called Amy Florian, And Amy is a specialist on grief. Now, that might sound a slightly morbid topic, but I hope you'll agree that actually she is fascinating. And I found talking to her truly uplifting. And I really, uh, I just got so much from it. I really did. So, yeah, a really interesting interview and chat coming up. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, Chris. Really looking forward to that. Very interesting subject, as you say. But before we do... Let's have the first of our two regular features. I say regular. The first one is a relatively new one. This is only the second time that we've done it. Bage's biases. So every episode, behavioural finance expert Neil Bage is going to give us his money behaviour tip. Uh, Neil's an old friend of the podcast. He was did episodes 36 and 21. His company, BIQ, has just launched a new app called Beam only on iTunes at the moment, but you can get it on Android later in the year. And Beam will help you uncover your own behavioural biases, the things which often stop us from making good decisions about money. So let's have a listen to what bias Neil has for us this episode. The second bias that we're going to look at today is framing bias. So what is framing bias? Framing is where we make a decision based on how information is presented to us as opposed to the facts themselves. For example, assume we were having a conversation about retirement planning and I said, can you retire on 70% of your current income? Now, you will listen to that question, you will compute the question and you will respond based on what you've heard. Now, I can ask that question the other way around and I could say to you, 
do you think you could retire on a 30% reduction of your current income? And that will more likely elicit a completely different response. Why? Well, because the second question is framed in a negative way. The first question, can you retire on 70% of your current income, is framed in a more positive way. And as humans, we have a tendency to focus our attention on negative frames more than we do positive frames. And like confirmation bias, this is all about looking deeper when it comes to processing the information that we need to process in order to reach a decision. If someone tells you that a yogurt is 80% fat-free, then pause and realize that it also contains 20% fat. I think uh, framing is used in advertising all the time, obviously, but it's used in more subtle ways in financial services too. And I think when we're looking at money, it's really, really important to recognise how the message is being said to you. And that last point of Neil, I think is absolutely brilliant. Uh, if we said, would you like yoghurt that's got 20% fat? You know, you would process that differently. So when somebody's giving you a message about money, just make sure you're hearing the reality of the whole message. That framing is, it, it's used nefariously a lot, but it can also just kind of be used accidentally a lot as well. So I think that's, a, I, I love, I love that tip. Yeah, yeah no, that's a very good. good one. Now, talking about money, one of the things that uh, we like to help you with on this podcast is to obviously increase your financial well-being. Primarily, that's what this is all about, but also to do that sometimes by spending as little money as possible. And there's one person, our hmm. Prince of Parsimony, who is the expert on this subject. It's Titus Tomo, the other one of our regular features. But before we come on to that, I've got one for you this week actually if in the last podcast we did i touched on the fact that i discovered that i quite enjoy gardening and one of the things that i've been doing is sowing and planting my own vegetables from seed so instead of going out and buying them i'm starting to grow things they're only just starting to come up now and it's really exciting watching all these little onions and cauliflowers and courgettes and green beans starting to sprout obviously in the fullness of time that means that I'm not going to be spending money on buying vegetables, uh, assuming that they don't all get eaten by caterpillars, of course. Yeah, take up gardening, grow your own veg. <laughs> Very good. Chris, have you got anything? I do. I, I'm actually going to be slightly naughty because I'm going to suggest how we can spend money to be happy. So, Tomo, forgive me for this. But there is a record shop. Uh, I don't actually know what city they're in. Um, oh, Loughton and Essex. Uh, called Triple J Vinyl. You can look them up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. JJJ Vinyl is their, is their name for each of those. And they have this thing going where if you give them an amount of money, they'll send you records. Simple. But what they're, they're, it's their tips, their suggestions for records. I'm just pausing this slightly, sorry, because I've just seen there's a woodpecker on, our, on my bird feeder. How exciting is that? Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, great for our listeners. Don't Fantastic. see woodpeckers very often, do you? Is it a wooden? Is it a wooden bird feeder? Is it pecking it? No, it's not. It's getting the peanuts. How exciting! Uh, a lot of well-being I've got from my from my bird feeders, by the way. That's. I, I love the fact that timestamp. When this goes out, we may no longer be in lockdown. No, we we are in lockdown right yes. now, so you can imagine exciting the the bar that needs to be hit for that <laughs> far lower than it was previously. It reminds me. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw <laughs> the other day where there's a, there's a woman uh, sitting on the sofa with her dog looking out of the window and she turns and says to the dog, 
you know, it's only recently that I've realised why you got so excited when somebody <laughs> walked past the window. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, 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 my, my, uh, my excitement of that woodpecker was a little over the top. Sorry. So, um, JJJ Vinyl, they, if you, I, I'm sending them a tenner every two weeks. And they send me an album, a 12-inch and a 7-inch record because I do like my vinyl. And so they've just sent me, I've just arrived today, and I've never heard of this before. I've heard of the, the band, but the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Visions of the Emerald Beyond. And I actually have that album, Chris. I got it when it first came out. John McLaughlin, an incredible jazz guitarist. You're going to absolutely love it. I think knowing your musical taste, I think you'll really, really like that. And, and there's some... Some of it's a bit out there, but there's some really, really good stuff on that. I look forward to hearing your views on it. So if I'll, I'll let you know next podcast. So uh, JJJ Vinyl, um, get in touch with them if you're into your, into your vinyl. Send them some money. And based upon your own existing collection and your tastes, they will send you some things that they think you'll like. And it's a very exciting thing every couple of weeks. And I know you're spending money, Chris, but actually it is for your well-being. And, 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 and actually... For a tenner, if you're getting an album, a 12-inch and a 7-inch, that's a pretty good deal, I would I'm say. I'm very happy. I'm very yeah. happy. Tomo, what have you got for us? Um, a little admin-intensive, but I think worthwhile for many listeners out there who are employed and have workplace benefits. So certainly during, during lockdown, this, as I said, I hope we're out of lockdown by the time this comes out. Um, but a bit more time on your hands to start thinking about the various things that you've got going on in your financial life. But it's worthwhile just double checking what you, what benefits you have from your employer. And this is important from several points. Firstly, it will open your eyes up that some employers are very generous with their extra benefits that they offer on top of salary etc and it just gives you a far more better understanding of what your package is worth which could be useful if you're a little bit disgruntled <laughs> but also it's a reflection sometimes on on you know an employer who actually does care about their staff's overall personal life and, and what i mean by that is firstly is have a look at your pension plan there will be minimums that you need to contribute and minimums that your employer will contribute but there are often opportunities to increase that what you put in and the employer will match it so that's the first one because ultimately that could be quote unquote free money from your employer quite commonly now there are life insurance schemes attached to employment so know know what that is and i think quite relevant having been in a pandemic that we're all very much aware of our own mortality so having a look at that and seeing what your, your your employer offers so it means that you might not have to buy that extra life insurance um, that you thought you did there is also things like income protection that is sometimes offered or critical illness again quite quite important things to focus on or focuses the mind when we just come out of uh, a pandemic but little things as well like ovation we offer a health cashback scheme where if somebody goes to the dentist they're able to reclaim some cash back. So it's little things like that. And I told you it's a bit admin intensive, but you add that all up, you can get some real savings going into a pension. There's a possibility that you could save some money on, on the kind of insurance that you need. And also if there's some cashback deals on offer for your employer, then great. You can make sure that you're, you're making the most of those. Good advice, Tom. And one of the things you touched on there leads us quite nicely into our interview. You were talking about, 
now might be a time for us to you know contemplate our own mortality uh chris uh, this interview with amy florian so amy is an american lady she's a ceo of i think it's pronounced called genius and she is an expert and advises on grief she'll tell you the story of how she got into this in the first place she combines the best of neuroscience and psychology and she's got a nice line and sense of humor as well and trains professionals on how to deal with clients when they're going through a a, a transition in life it's not just about death it's about transition in life so fascinating lady i really enjoyed this have a listen to my chat with amy florian amy thanks so much for joining us on this podcast you're quite welcome tell me always interested to know what's your view at the moment where are you sitting i am sitting in my office in a suburb of chicago illinois in the united states ah chicago now uh, is it chicago that's the windy city is that right that's right for it's actually for two reasons number one there's it's right on lake michigan a huge lake and when the wind comes in off lake michigan it gets funneled between the skyscrapers and you can walk around a skyscraper and almost get blown off your feet on a windy day so yes it is very windy in downtown chicago on windy days and the other way the reputation came is from chicago politics a bunch of windbags No, I didn't know that one. Most people think of the Windy City as simply the the weather phenomenon. Yeah. But when it originally began, I understand that it was the political situation causing it to be called the Windy City. Yeah, that's great. I didn't know that. That's that's, that's great fun. Thank you. So, look, Amy, I'm going to give it a quick name check because I heard you do an interview on Martin Bamford's podcast. It was probably a couple of years ago now, and it blew my socks off. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I've been dying to get you on our our podcast ever since. So do you want to just give us a brief introduction to yourself and in particular perhaps what, forgive me if this pronounced correctly, thanatology is? Thanatology. You had it very, very close to the correct pronunciation. (laughs) It's really just the way it looks. Thanatos is a Greek word and it means death. So ology means study of in the narrowest definition, it would be study of death. It's actually broader than that. My field is death, loss, grief, aging, and transition. So it's a, it's a broader field than just death. But grief is a broader subject than just death. So many things trigger grief besides just death. So it really is life, life studies. It's a subset of psychology. Most people have not heard about it. It's a growing field. That's what I do. And I appreciate a lot of your time is advising people on how to help people with grief. Would it be okay to ask you, just it seems an odd thing to choose to do in life. How did you come to it? It does seem an odd thing to do. In fact, many times when I'm out and about, you know, you get to know people in a social setting. And the first thing they say is, what's your name? Where do you live? Then they say, what do you do? (laughs) I tell them what I do. (laughs) And the reaction can be quite interesting because it's unusual. And we feel that it's awkward and frightening because we don't know anything about it. So that's really what I do is to try to help it not be frightening and not be awkward and instead become life-giving when you really do know what to do. 
They're very positive. But how did I how did I get into it in the first place? Yeah. I was 25 with a 7-month-old son when my husband was killed in a car accident. I was living in a small town in the rural part of the state of Iowa in the United States. There was nobody who knew what to say to a 25-year-old widow with yeah. a 7-month-old baby boy. There were no support groups. There was it was very difficult to find the resources that I needed to get through this. I did the best I could. I kind of attacked my grief. My son didn't have a dad. He darn well better have a mom. So I went to places we used to go and went there by myself. I did things we used to do together and did them by myself. I really forced myself to face this reality and work my way through it more or less on my own. About five years after John died, I went to a seminar on grief and loss that was put on by a man who'd never been widowed. When I was talking to him afterwards, he said, oh, I need your voice. Would you, would you do a seminar with me on grief and loss so that, so that you can contribute from your experience? When I did, then someone else wanted me, somebody else wanted me, somebody else wanted me. Then they started asking me my credentials, and mm. I didn't have any except my own personal experience. So I went back to graduate school. I have a master's, de master's degree, and I'm a fellow in thanatology, which is the highest level of certification you can get in that field. I founded a support group for widowed people. I taught graduate classes at Loyola University in Chicago for almost 10 years and undergraduate classes at three other universities. I started speaking and teaching all over the country, publishing articles, writing books. It just kept going and going and going, and there was such a need. It's that For me, it was just so gratifying to turn around and help people have what I didn't have when John died. Hmm. It was so gratifying to equip people to truly help each other and offer comfort in ways that we're just not taught. Yeah. in our western society so so there, there is i cannot imagine there's anybody walking this planet more qualified to discuss this topic than you <laughs> with that history um can i perhaps as a way of getting into the subject can i ask if you were to meet yourself now at 25 what advice would you give yourself mm, that's an interesting question i would first of all say this takes time do what you can, but be patient with yourself because this takes time and a lot more time than people realize. I would also say there's people, they don't mean to be cruel. They are very well-meaning. They want to bring comfort, but expect that the vast majority of the people are going to say things that are hurtful, things that are uh, objectionable or at best things that are neutral and just try to take it with a grain of salt saying they mean well mm. it will save you from a lot of stress and a lot of anger if you just realize okay all right take a breath they mean well thank you very much for your concern i appreciate it and then move on could you, I mean, that's, a, that's a fascinating one, that, that people would actually be hurtful without meaning to be. Could you give an example of how that might happen? 
oh, I've worked with a, a number of people who have had a child die or have had a miscarriage or a stillbirth. And people will say, oh, don't worry, you're young, you can have another one. Even when John died, people, so many people said to me, oh, you're young, you, you can get married again, don't worry. Uh, that's just one example. People yeah. say the most <laughs> outrageous things in an attempt to be helpful. Yeah. You know, um, some of them aren't quite so blatant, but even things like, oh, she's in a better place. Well, excuse me, right now, I can't imagine a better place than right here beside me. Mm. Besides which, the you're assuming someone else's belief about the afterlife, yeah. which at the time of the crisis, the foundations of people's beliefs get knocked out from under them, and they need to be able to put them back together themselves. It is not helpful for people to tell them what they're supposed to believe about their faith, about religion, about the afterlife, about their loved one's present location. It, that's just not comforting. It's not helpful. Yeah. And presumably some of those daft things that we, let's be honest, I'm sure we've all said something like that without mm -hmm. realizing it. And it's come from feeling awkward about mm -hmm. having to say something. So you say some daft thing that comes into your head, doesn't it? So let's, let's be positive. How should one approach such a conversation? The overall principle is that it is not important for you to tell them something about you. It is not important for you to fix it. You can't. It is not your job to cheer them up. That's, that's not why you're there. Your job is to companion them wherever they are. And in order to do that, what you need to do is be present and listen and ask good questions. Asking good questions is so much more important than telling them something about you or saying something to cheer them up. Even the, the standard things we're all taught to say, like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, what do I, I, I don't even know how to answer that. What do I do with that information? I, you yeah. know, thank you. Yeah. I mean, what, what am I supposed to do with the collective sympathy of 357 people who come through the services? It tells me something about you, but it, it, it really doesn't offer anything to me. So that would suggest then that, that it's about making it about them, not about you, isn't it? Exactly. It's about making it about them. And it's in, in two ways. There's, there's two ways to go with this. If you're going to say something, then offer a memory or a story about their loved one. You know, I, we are going to miss Karen so much. She knew how to make people happy. She would walk into a room. She'd start smiling. She'd reach out to everybody. I mean, pretty soon the entire mood of the, of the room would lift because Karen was in it. We are really going to miss her ability to make people smile, to make them happy, to make them feel loved. Wow, we're really going to miss that. But tell me, you knew Karen so much better than me. What is something you hope people remember about Karen? Tell me something you loved about her. Wow, now you're doing something comforting. And then um, the asking is just asking really good questions. Like my, my favorite question, what do you wish people knew about what you're going through right now? What do you wish people knew? They'll tell you what they wish you knew. 
What do you wish people knew about what you're going through? What do you wish people knew about what it's like now to face the first anniversary of your mom's death? What do you wish people knew about what it's like to see the soccer parents now that your child isn't playing soccer anymore? What do you wish people knew about what it's like to have so many people here for the services and then have everybody disappear? What do you wish people knew about what it's like to face the fact that your child took his own life? What do you wish people knew? Powerful question. They'll tell you what they wish you knew. And it doesn't feel intrusive because it's not like, tell me how you feel. It's what do you wish people knew? If you could get into their imaginations. Oh my gosh, the stories come pouring out sometimes. Um, what do you wish people knew about what it's like you know, to have everybody go home? It feels lonely. It feels so isolating. I thought that my married friends were going to be with me through all of this. And now it's, it's like I'm a threat to them because I'm single or they don't know what to do. I'm a third wheel. I'm a fifth wheel. I don't fit into my own social circle anymore. It's just really hard. If you invite the story, they can tell you that. Are you um, familiar with a video called It's Not About the Nail? It's not about the nail. Yeah. I, you know what? If you're not, no. then any of our listeners, uh, just, just type into YouTube, it's not about the nail. And I think that will be quite revelatory. Neil Beige, a friend of the podcast, he told me about it quite a while ago. And it's, it just perfectly summarizes about how to listen and make it about the other person, not about you. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you're dealing with this all day, every day. And I'm finding this a hard conversation. Hmm. Because it's an emotional conversation, and it is. Uh, and and you know what you're describing is stuff that that is real, and it happens. If I'm finding it hard just to have a conversation with you about this, it kind of illustrates how hard it is to have a conversation with someone who's currently grieving. So, how about we get to just approaching? You know, somebody you know has had somebody die. I want to pick the phone up because I want to help them, but I'm scared to because I don't want to burst into tears you know how do you approach that why is it bad to burst into tears that's another problem in our western society everybody feels oh i just have to be strong i have to be strong and strong means you can't cry well what that means is you're stuffing down the grief you're stuffing down the emotions and when you stuff it down it doesn't go away it stays there and it will find a way to come back out and bite you so, so may I answer that question? Why? Because it's a very, very fair challenge, of course. I guess it's because that makes it feel like I am making it about me. If there is somebody I know that has had a recent bereavement, especially a, a husband or a child, and I can't empathize with that. And if I phone up and say, hi, how is your day going? And burst into tears, then that's making the conversation about me. And I don't feel that would be helpful. So I guess that's why I would be mm. reluctant. Yes, yes. I can, I can understand that reticence. At the same time, it has to be balanced with the fact that every grieving person wants to know that their loved one's life made a difference, hmm. that someone remembers besides them, that, that there's a void in the world besides just in their own life. And it's actually very comforting for people to know that other people miss them too. So if you feel that by saying, 
hi, how's it going for you today that you're going to burst into tears, then don't start that way. <laughs> start by saying, you know, I was thinking about Karen today and I just, I just miss her so much that I, you know, the tears are right here. I just miss her so much, but she was even closer to you and a bigger part of your life. What is your day like today? I would, I just wanted to let you know, I miss her too. And I wanted to check in and see what it's like for you today. Maybe we can cry together. Or maybe if this isn't a good day for you, if you don't want to, it's an emotional day for me. If that's too much for you today, then I'll hang up. I'll, I'll ring back tomorrow. But, you know, I'm just really missing her today. Mm. Yeah, I can see how that would work. That's, that's, that's you know, it's what we need to do is be authentic with each other. If we're having a hard day on either side of the equation, why are we so reluctant to admit that? If someone's having a hard day and I'm not having a hard day, that's okay. It still is helpful. In fact, sometimes for grieving people, it's helpful to be able to help someone else. So to be in it together, to say, well, I'm having a better day today, but wow, it does sound like you're having a hard day today. Let's, let's maybe get together in a couple of days. We can have coffee and see where we are then. Mm. maybe I'll be down and you'll be up. Maybe we'll both be having an up morning. Maybe we'll both be having a down day. This, you know, grief is all over the place. It's up and down and back and forth all the time for mm. everybody. I'd like to just, just talk about grief in a wider context because grief isn't just mm -hmm. when somebody's died, is it? No, it's not. Grief, grief actually occurs whenever there's a break in an attachment. Whenever you have to leave behind someone certainly or something or a way of life a job a, a title a a dream a function or an ability to do something your belief in a certain institution whenever you have to leave behind something that you like about your life you're familiar with it you're attached to it and you have to go forward and learn how to live without it that triggers grief so yes death triggers grief so does divorce. So does having a child born with disabilities or acquiring a disability yourself. So does being downsized. Retirement. So does retire. Yes. Even, even positive transitions trigger grief because we have to leave something behind. Everybody wants to throw a retirement party. <laughs> but look at what they have to leave. Be They're leaving behind their title and status, their prestige, their daily routine, their reason for getting out of bed in the morning, the colleagues they associated with on a daily basis. They're leaving behind an entire way of life that has been defining for them for years. And they have to move to something different that's still new and unknown and uncertain. And what is this going to be like? And it's it's a very difficult time as well as a relief and a happy time. Every transition, positive and negative. Somebody has a baby. Well, don't you just wish you could sleep through the night just once? Don't you wish you could go to the grocery store without carrying a minor U-Haul behind you? You you just there's things in every transition no matter what it is, no matter if it's a negative transition or a positive transition, there's things that you're grateful for or relieved about. And at the exact same time, there's things you miss and things you long for. So every life transition triggers grief. Mm. 
you talked at the beginning about it's it's all about time yeah. and you said things like you, you can't fix it or cheer them up it's about being present and listening is is the word that one might use to encapsulate this it's a period of adjustment and is it is this really about just being a support for somebody whilst they adjust yeah that's an interesting way of putting it it is definitely an adjustment and in in different cases it's more or less of an adjustment they have certainly if a spouse dies every breath you take all through the day is different everything is different if you're an adult and your parent dies your daily life is not really affected mm. you could uh, essentially try to block it out and go about your daily life and your daily life is not affected but then you want to pick up the phone and call your dad and there's no answer on the other side, or you know there's not going to be. You know, there's it's different types of adjustment in each type of loss, but definitely yes, supporting and being there while they let go of what has to be let go of, at the same time that they're building something new that didn't exist before. Yeah. And as long as that takes, and as much as much time and effort as involved to be able to support and be there for them during that process is really crucial. How do you help somebody who doesn't want to be helped? Yeah, you can't. You can't control another person. You can offer, you can provide resources, you can do everything possible, but you can't make them do it. There is an element of healing that is a choice. And some people consistently make the choice not to heal. I've worked sometimes with people with a, I'm thinking of a particular widow right now who sort of built her identity around being the poor little widow. That's how she got attention. That's how she got empathy. That's how she was able to go on with her life is to get everybody to pay attention to her and give her things because she's the poor little widow and she couldn't let go of that. Other times it's more like people are afraid to let go of the pain because the pain is their closest connection to the person who died. And they're afraid if, they're, if they let go of the pain, then they're really letting go of that person or they're being disloyal to that person by going on and finding joy and being happy and living again, that somehow that's disloyal to the person who died. It's, I, I love Rabbi Earl Grohlman said that the greatest memorial we can ever build to somebody we love who dies is to live our lives now as fully as possible, enriched by their memory. I love that. Mm. It means you take the best of who they were, of who you became because they loved you, yeah. of their impact in your life, their gifts, who, you know, they, you take the best of them and you bring it with you into the future to allow you to live in their memory fully and joyfully and putting all the pieces back together again. Yeah. I love that. A lot of our listeners are advisors, and uh, we don't always have the mandate to speak to somebody who's grieving, and yet we also have a mandate to be helping them, whether it's financial advisors or any other type. How do you help somebody who doesn't want to be helped when you know what the end might be? 
in a professional capacity as a financial advisor, you talk to people about their finances, but in order to do that well, you have to talk to them about their lives, their what their goals are, what their what they want to do with this money. You have to get into their personal lives in order to manage their money well. Of, of course, but if they don't want to have that conversation with you, mm. if they don't want to have that conversation with you as a professional, as a financial professional. Well, I'm just using that as an example. It could be that it's a not particularly close friend. It could be somebody you know down the tennis club. There's lots of situations where you're not in the inner circle of somebody. And you, but, you know, as I say, in this particular example, the end result was tragic. Yes. Um, and when you know that that could be the end result, how do you, how do you help somebody to grieve in a more positive way than what the outcome might be? You know, mm-hmm. or, or, or can't you? If you are in a position to or or are close enough to reach out to that person and just say, this is really tough, isn't it? Where are you finding your support? What are the hardest things for you? What are What is easier than you thought? What has surprised you about this? Just to open up the channel that they can talk about things with you. If they totally shut it down, then they totally shut it down. You can't reach through a closed door. You can open as many doors as possible. If they close the doors, unfortunately, we we are not in control of other people. And sometimes we have to let go of thinking that we are because we aren't. What we can do is everything possible. We can reach out. We can ask those questions. We can even, um, there, are, there are a number of hotlines that people can call if they're feeling suicidal. If we have a little laminated wallet-sized card with hotlines on it and just say, you know, sometimes people in a situation like yours feel that they really need to talk to somebody. They don't know who to talk to. They don't want to go to family and friends but they'd like to be able to talk to somebody objective who doesn't have the baggage of family and who might be able to help them a little bit. If you ever find yourself in that situation, I mean, just stick this in your wallet or throw it on your coffee table. Maybe you'll need it someday. Maybe somebody in your family will. Maybe a friend could find it useful. I just give these to everybody that I know who's going through anything tough in their life because it it just provides a resource that people can have. If you don't want it, throw it in the garbage. But here, somebody else you know might want it. Yeah, they take the heat out of the conversation in a way, aren't you? By just, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In those situations, you want to be able to ask questions and open the door. And you want to be able to offer resources without making it seem too uh, directed at them only yeah. or too intrusive to just say, I give this to everybody. This is what I find with a lot of people I work with. Mm. You know, I've known others who've been in situations similar to yours. It's it's not exact. I don't know what you're going through, but sometimes what I find is this. And That's actually a really nice way of using your professional capacity, isn't it? Yeah, it is. To to your advantage. You're able to say, actually, I've seen this happen before, you know. um, Yeah. 
and be dispassionate. Okay, that, that, that's that's thank you. <laughs> um, You're welcome. And I've I've recommended the book that I wrote about grief is titled "A Friend Indeed: Help Those You Love When They Grieve." Because of that, because instead of saying to somebody, you know, here's a good book about your grief. I think you could use this. To say to somebody, you're not the only one who's grieving here. You know, your your parents are grieving, your kids are grieving, your family's grieving, your friends are grieving, your your place of worship is grieving. So many people are grieving. Here's a book that has some good information about grief that might help you be able to support each other a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Maybe help you get through this with a a little less pain, a little more understanding, a little more compassion. So here, take the book. Just take it home, give it to anybody you think might be able to use it, or just keep it someplace at your house. Somebody might want to pick it up and just read a chapter or whatever, whoever it's helpful for. I give this out all the time. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Because it's not intrusive. So one last question, uh, if I may, I I could talk about this phrase. It's so fascinating, but clarity and security for those we leave behind is one of five parts of financial well-being. Yes. So let's just have a final little little talk about about money and particularly people who have perhaps a life ending illness mm-hmm. uh, or maybe people dealing with it's immediate aftermath. But I'm particularly thinking people who have a life ending illness uh, about getting their affairs in order. Have you seen anything that you could you could recommend good ideas, good tips about that that area? Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, it becomes more imperative when you get that diagnosis. But all of this is things we should be doing all along because you don't always get the diagnosis. You might get the car accident. You might get the sudden heart attack. You might get a diagnosis and two days later you die. You might not have time to get your affairs in order. We all ought to have our affairs in order all our lives. Families, after a loved one dies, I've seen them spend months searching under mattresses, through drawers, in file cabinets, trying to put things together. I've seen cases where people have not revisited their beneficiaries in years. Then they die unexpectedly and their beneficiaries are all wrong. The beneficiary, recently, a young uh, 36-year-old mother, wife and mother, died in a scuba diving accident, very unexpected. Her life insurance still listed her parents as the beneficiary, not her husband, not her daughter. Um, There's so many things that we need to get in ahead of time. Having a last will and testament, having insurance. Insurance is not about you dying. It's about your family living. It's about if you died last night, what would your family be worried about today? Would they be worried whether they could keep the house they just bought? Would they be worried whether the kids or the grandkids could go to college? Life insurance is a way to help your family live, whether you're there in person to do it or not. And not just financial things, healthcare things too. We know that the survivors of a loved one's death grieve with more peace and less guilt and less second guessing if they are not required to make medical decisions for their loved ones without knowing what their loved ones want. When they know what their loved ones want, that, uh, that takes away the family fights. Mom would want to be hooked up to that machine. No, she never wanted to be hooked up to a machine. How, how do you know? 
what do you want? What do you want for your medical treatment? What do you want your life to look like? Do you want some doctor in the ER who never met you to make your decisions? Or do you want to have them written down? Do you want to have them there ahead of time? We also need to live as if we could die tonight because we could. So when's the last time you said, I love you to the people that you love? Where's the balance in your life? When's, how, how much time do you spend yelling at or complaining to or complaining to someone else about the people you love versus the amount of time you say, thank you. I am so proud. I am so happy to be your daughter, your wife, your sister, your friend. Thank you for the gift you are to my life. I appreciate you. I love you. Where's the balance? We need to be keeping that in mind all the time. When we're angry with somebody, what, what is it worth? Is it something that's worth sticking your, sand, your stake in the sand and being angry and holding a grudge about? Or is it something that in the big picture really isn't that important and maybe you can just let it go? Living so that if we die tonight, we have as few regrets as possible. If we die tonight, the people we love know we love them. If we die tonight, we know we have lived well and we've made a difference. That's, that's the, the real underlying message that I wish people would get across. Mm. Love the people you love and love them fiercely. Live as fully as you can every day that you have. Make the world a better place. I've, I've never thought of it before uh, that way, that clarity for those we leave behind includes if I died tomorrow, would they know I loved them? Mm-hmm. I've never thought of that clarity in that way. So that's absolutely fantastic. Um, Amy, I could listen to you for, for, for weeks. Uh, it's so fascinating. I really, really do appreciate you coming to talk to us. We will be doing lots of, uh, in the show notes, lots of information about your your work and your, and your books, etc. cetera. Uh, and I would recommend anybody go and have a look at your website, corgenius.com. I've just been reading one, When Grief Comes, Becomes Depression. So many great tips and ideas on there for people. But I guess if there was one thing that I would take away from this, it's engage, don't avoid. Would that be a reasonable summation of your message? Engage, don't avoid, support, be present. Fabulous. Amy, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was absolutely brilliant. Now, Chris, I don't often compliment you because you get too swollen headed, but I just thought that was a really sensitive interview. Really, really well done for that, mate. Very well done. And I could tell, obviously, it affected you quite deeply as well. And it affected me, uh, perhaps in a different way. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've been fairly open about, uh, you know, the fact that my wife died well seven years ago now almost seven years difficult wow, to believe. Um, and uh, and a lot of the things that amy talks about there you know i've i've experienced them myself you know that thing of of you know nothing will ever take away the memory of somebody who you love dying in your arms you know the the, the grief of that is palpable and real however the way in which you deal with it, and most importantly, the way in which people around you help you deal with it is absolutely vital. And, and a lot of the things, the things that she talked about there were things that, that in, in, in the early months and years after Dinah's death, you know, 
I experienced as well. And I think the thing that I took away from that the most is, is when she says, what do you wish people knew? Mm. You know, it's a great question. And I think the way in which she frames that question, uh, and I've also recently actually just, and Chris, this is somebody you will know as well, and just uh, mourned the death of a very, very close friend. And, and it is how you deal with that. And, and, and the, when I was talking to her husband about it, who was a very close friend of mine, was able to pass on some of my feelings. The thing that I was able to say to him was not, oh, um, you must really miss her. I was able to say, do you know what? I really, really miss her. I really miss her. And, you know, you must miss her too. And it's just a different way of framing it. So I thought that was great. She had some really, really interesting stuff to say there, I thought. Yeah, so I, I, David, I, I thought you would find that quite an affecting interview yourself. I, the, the line that, um, well, one of the many lines that, that I liked was, every grieving person wants to know that their loved ones made a difference. Hmm. And that's completely changed how I would speak to somebody who's grieving. Completely changed it. Um, because just to, to share a story with them, as, she, as Amy suggests, to share an anecdote. I oh, do you remember when so-and-so? Yeah. And it's sharing that grief and then sharing it, obviously, is, is easing the load, one hopes. Um, did, did you find, David, that the things that particularly worked and or maybe even particularly didn't work when you were...? No, I think, I think certainly the sharing is really important. It's that it's, it's, you know when people are tiptoeing around you. You know when people are going, oh, I don't want to say that. It might upset him. Listen... If your wife's died, you're going to be upset. And, and, and clearly, you're going to have feelings about it. So um, I think the important thing for me was when people were just honest. And if they said, yeah, I'm upset, you know, you must be upset too. Yeah, we could sometimes have a cry together. And I think that was great what Amy said. You know, I am, I'm, I'm prone to tears anyway. But at a time when I'm feeling sad about things, particularly, you know, when you're facing the death of a loved one, if you need to have a cry, have a cry. And if you need to have a cry with somebody else, have a cry with somebody else. But also remember the good times as well, because a lot of the things, and this applies particularly as well to the friend that I've just lost and at the funeral and at the wake, as I did with my wife when she died, we spent a lot of time laughing and remembering the good times that we had together. Um, and I think another thing that Amy said, we should live our lives as fully as possible, enriched by the memory of that person and not to get bogged down by it. And some people clearly never get over the death of a loved one, of a parent or a sibling or whoever it might be. And, 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 and who am I to say that, that they shouldn't always carry that sadness with them? But I think after a while, that's not gonna do you an awful lot of good. So you need to crack on with your life. And also the other crucial thing, and this goes back to what Titus Tomo was saying earlier, let's plan for our death. Make sure, you, you know, as, as Amy said, make sure we've all got a will. Uh, make sure that we've got the appropriate life insurance, because in the end, when that person is dead, you're the person, uh, you and your family and your siblings or whoever it might be, are the people who are going to have to deal with that. Mm. So the, the biggest gift I think that we can all give to those who are going to mourn us when we've gone is to make sure that we plan for it as best as we can. Yeah, I think that is a lovely link. I think though, grieving is hard enough without having to worry about finances. Yeah, I have, sorry, just butt in. I mean, I have, in, in, in the light of this recent pandemic, you know, I've revisited my will as well. And, and it's interesting what Amy said in there, you know, and I realised that actually my will hadn't been updated, you know, for years. And actually I'd, I'd left everything to my wife who was dead, you know. So, um, <laughs> you, know, you, you, need, you, you know, you need to sort of update that. And it's very easy to just let that slip by. Um, so 
I think the, the, the planning and doing the right thing, very, very important. And I speak as a non-financial person who has learned that, absolutely. I, I think for from my point of view, and I, this is probably more reaching out to those who are practicing advisors who, who listen to this podcast, the key message, come, well, firstly, platitudes are not particularly helpful. I think we can all slip into that because it's a comfort zone and that we sh- it shouldn't be about us being comfortable. Uh, but it was the, simply, she said, ask questions. And yeah, I, I, that was a big thing I took away from it. And I will take into my professional life in particular is that when, and we do, I am confronted by, by death in, in what I do for a living, unfortunately. And we want to be there to support those who are left behind. And it's just reminding you, ignore the platitudes, ask questions, you know, sharing those experiences. I, I, I felt it really, that listen to that interview, I, I found really helpful and I will take forward. Hmm. Yeah, just one thing as well. I remember somebody saying to me, not long after Dinah died, it was well meant. And they said, well, don't worry because she'll be an angel in heaven now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to punch them in the face mm-hmm. uh, because because uh, anybody that knew Dinah would have known that that she would not have subscribed to that the, the principle of heaven and hell and angels and all of that. Mm-hmm. And also, I knew that the person that said that was not even themselves a religious person. <laughs> and it was it was the glibest, most platitudinous thing that anybody <laughs> could have said. But they said it for the right reasons because they didn't know what else to say. So I think that's spot on, Tom. Avoid platitudes. Or speak from the heart because people yeah. can cope with that. Speak from the heart. I want to. Do, I know this has been a very long podcast, but I just want to finish with one thought because uh, there's also the fact that uh, grief doesn't just come from death. Grief, grief comes from change. I think Amy's, Amy's line was positive transitions trigger grief. And that could be uh, retirement, not being properly prepared for retirement, for example, and having something else to do um, can be a huge wrench for people. And you know, the world is going through almighty change at the moment, and we are all suffering a little bit of grief at the changes we see around us. So I think it's important to to respect that grief and to help each other by asking each other, how are you feeling today? Which is a key question, I think, that Amy said. Questions. It comes back to those questions. And I think the point about retirement is a very pertinent one. And I will just finish on a personal experience as we're, as we're in a sharing mood. I didn't realise it at the time, but I realised that when, and I love him to bits, but when my son Toby was born, and I've gone through that first sort of real struggle as a parent. I gr- I was grieving for my former life. Not that I was unhappy with my life that, that I had. It's what we wanted and, and I'm very fortunate. But I grieve for the freedom of being a, uh, an adult without children. And, and it didn't dawn on me that actually it was just the transition that I was getting used to. And it was really helpful to know that that was quite normal. And that just came from speaking to two other people in a similar position. So, yeah, uh, very, very insightful from, from, from that interview. Yeah, it's great. Indeed. Well, listen, I hope uh, you at home have taken something from that podcast. Uh, I think we all found it very profound, very interesting. Um, and I hope you'll join us again at some point in the not too distant future for another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button.
For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.